Welcome to our message for August the 14th, 2022. Our text for today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have not done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he took and he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Let us pray. Almighty God, search our hearts. See where our true loyalties lie. Teach us to put all of our trust and all of our hope in you alone. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Judge between me and my vineyard, says God. Whose side will you be on? The vineyard represents the nation of Judah. God's asking Judah, are you going to side with God or country? What an important question for Judah. When God spoke these words to Isaiah, Assyria was at least threatening the northern nation of Israel and perhaps had already destroyed it. And now the Assyrians were also threatening Judah. It was a real threat to their national survival and the people, the leadership was all about how can we save our country? Uh, King Hezekiah of Judah was making political alliances. He was trying to find safety in alliances with the nations around, uh, around Judah, nations that didn't believe in God. And eventually he wound up making Judah a vassal state of Assyria. That means that Judah was having to pay tribute to Assyria to keep them from attacking them and destroying them. Uh, Hezekiah was doing all that he could to save the country, but in trying to save the country, he lost it. Uh, the Judah eventually was destroyed, not by the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians because of this unfaithfulness. In trying to save the country, they lost it. God or country? What an important question for us. More and more people in our country are equating American and Christian, as if being one guarantees the other. The opposite is also true. Many believe that if you're not one, you can't be the other. What we're experiencing now is called Christian nationalism. The United Methodist Church on their website defines Christian nationalism this way. Christian nationalism identifies the nation with God's will and action in the world conflates national and Christian identity and identifies service of the nation with service of God, writes Dr. David W. Scott, who is a Methodist historical researcher and the director of mission and theology at the General Board of Global Missions of the United Methodist Church. He goes on to say, 
Christian nationalism gives moral cover for actions, even unseemly ones, taken in pursuit of national or political goals. In other words, Christian nationalism allows us to use violence, political force, legal force, to accomplish what people may think is good for the country, but we do it in the name of God. At its worst, Christian nationalism turns our country into a god and gives permission to oppress anyone who doesn't fit our cultural identity, which right now is predominantly white, Protestant, Christian. And so Christian nationalism uh, gives cover for oppressing and for abusing people that don't line up with us. Now, that abuse is not found in Scripture. That's a, a false reading of Scripture. It's led to slavery, to segregation, to violence against immigrants and against other religions. On our vacation, on our last cruise, Melissa and I were in the karaoke bar listening to people try to sing. It's always fun. Uh, a former Marine took the mic and stood up to sing. They actually had problems with the sound system, and so he sang a cappella. They couldn't get the music to play, but he sang God Bless America, a cappella. He had a beautiful voice, and he did an incredible job. But I looked around, and, and I saw people standing up, raising their hands as if in praise to God as he was singing God Bless America. And I sat there wondering if this was in praise of God or in praise of America. It was hard to tell the difference, and they can't be the same. Our country is not God. No matter how much we love it, and we should love it, it is not God. It's time for the church and our time to ask the question, is it America first or is it Jesus first? Where is our allegiance? The kingdom of heaven or in the United States of America? For us, is it God or country? Whose side will we be on? I choose God. I, use, I choose to treat every person regardless of their citizenship, regardless of their politics, to choose every person, to treat every person as the image of God. Judge between me and my vineyard. God was talking about the nation, but the comment could also be about religion. But Judah loved its religious festivals. They loved their feasts. They loved their thousands of sacrifices. When life got tough, they got more religious. They sacrificed more animals. They they prayed and fasted all the more. They loved their religious festivals and duties, but God got tired of them. The people were being religious while neglecting the poor and the outcast around them. The Bible says that God actually came to despise their religious activities, that God hated their religious uh, activities when that, while they were neglecting the poor and the outcast in trying to preserve their religion. They lost it. In fact, when the temple was taken away by the Babylonians, that means that they could no longer sacrifice. The, the, the sacrifice, the central piece of, of Jewish religion, was taken away from them uh, because God hated that sacrifice when they wouldn't take care of the poor around them. God or church? It's an important question for us. Because sometimes people love their churches more than they love God. For some, it's the love of the building, which is, by the way, our biggest expense. 
we fall passionately in love with our buildings and sometimes more so than our God. I served one church where they were constantly complaining about how dimly lit their narthex was. They couldn't figure out how to get it bright. As people walked in on a bright, sunshiny morning, they literally couldn't see as they walked through the narthex. I walked out and looked up into the ceiling of the narthex and it had a very small light fixture, only about nine inches square. And the sides of it were covered with iron. And I, I came back into the meeting and I said, well, it's no wonder it's dark. We've got only a small light fixture for the room and, and we should change it out for something brighter. The leadership immediately said, oh, no, Brother Kevin, we can't do that. That light was the only thing left from our first church building that burnt. And I said, well, that's all well and good, but if it's not working for us, if it's not accomplishing its purpose, it's not doing any good. Let's take that down and you can put it on display somewhere as a light fixture from the first building, and let's put up a light that will actually shine light throughout the whole room. I'm kind of surprised that they actually listened to that. They did change out the light fixtures. They put the, the old light fixture from the original building in a place of prominence in the church parlor with a note on it explaining what it was. And they put up a big chandelier that gave light to the whole room because buildings are tools. Our buildings are not to be worshipped. Our buildings are certainly not God. They are tools for reaching people for Christ and for expanding the kingdom. Buildings are usually our most expensive investment in the church. The only way we can justify spending that kind of money is if we are getting a return on that investment. If we are making disciples, if we are transforming the world, if we are using this tool to accomplish godly purposes in our community. How are we going to use our building to make disciples? For some, it's the program. Uh, what serves and entertains me is most important. We choose when to worship and how to worship and where to worship based off what works for us, very rarely giving thought to what would best serve the community around. Uh, just a few months ago, we were trying to decide, uh, coming out of COVID, what was the best worship schedule for us. Plenty of people told me what their preference was. Nobody asked me, though, about what would be the, the ideal worship time for reaching people in the community. You see how easy it is that we begin to cater to our own desires rather than to God's will. Sometimes we show our love for the church over God by trying to preserve our tradition, our past experiences, more than reach future generations. It shows up in our reluctance to sing songs that might not be in the hymnal. It showed up in a church that, uh, the church where Melissa and I were married, where we were told that you can't move any of the chancel furniture. It is in the place where it's got to stay. And uh, I'm so glad that we weren't that way because by being able to clear our stage, we hosted an incredible event with the Messiah this last Easter. We get caught up in our traditions. Uh, Bill Eason wrote a book years ago, that I just love the title of it, that addressed our traditions, our propensity to hang on to our traditions. The title of the book was Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Hamburgers. For most of us in the church, we have some sacred cows that ought to be turned into hamburger meat. Who will we serve, the church or the God of the church? Because our church is not God. A couple of weeks ago, the air conditioning went out at Clara Verna Towers here in town. Uh, that's a, a, a home for folks that, uh, are, that, that have a subpar income. 
these and mostly older folks they the air conditioning was out and especially the top floors were going to be very hot uh nancy green with compassion coalition reached out to me to see if we could provide a cooling station well most of our building was being used that day so we we offered the mccready center but i said if there are too many people for that then absolutely put them in our sanctuary and she was nervous about doing that. Maybe some of you are nervous about the idea of bringing folks into our sanctuary for a cooling station. But I ask you, what holier work is there than to take the under-resourced people that are dealing with brutal heat and providing a cool place for them in our sanctuary? There couldn't be any holier work. I love the church, don't get me wrong, but I choose to put God first, even above the church. Judge between me and my vineyard. Sometimes the choice is between God and our own opinions. We have a tendency to decide what we believe first and then look for supporting evidence in scripture. Tattoos are the obvious example. I did this myself. I'm, I don't care for tattoos because I don't like needles. But as a, as a young kid, I searched through the scripture and I found the one verse, the one verse that says something negative about tattoos. And, and I decided that God must agree with me, that God must feel the same way about tattoos that I do. And so since God agrees with me, I must be right. And all of you that got them must be wrong. Well, I've since grown out of that feeling. I still don't have tattoos myself, but I have nothing against those who do. It's a matter of personal preference. It's not essential that we make God agree with our personal personal preferences. We've done the same thing with alcohol, with profanity, with how we dress, with whether or not we use instruments in worship, with marriage rules. We've, we've gone on and on using the scripture to justify our own personal preferences and opinions. But here's a hint. If God always agrees with you, it's not really God you're listening to. I've discovered that if God always agrees with me, then all I'm really doing is my own will in God's name. Are we conforming our wills to God's, or are we bending our religion to our preferences? That's an important question for us these days. Are we truly conforming our lives to God's will, or are we bending our religion to suit our preferences? Because we certainly are not God. Most of you have heard about the ways God has changed my mind. I am not the same person I was 30 years ago. My sermons are not the same they were 30 years ago. Uh, I am not as convinced of some things that I used to be. I'm not nearly, I don't have nearly as many answers as I had 30 years ago. God has changed my mind and continues to change my mind, and I continue to choose to invite God to shape me into God's image. What stands before you today is hopefully not the finished product. I want God to continue to make me look more like Christ. To do that, I've got to give up some things. I've got to change. I've got to allow change in the parts of me that don't look like Christ. Our faith is not about us. It's about God, about aligning ourselves with God, about choosing God's will and caring for God's people. If, I try to, if we try to save our country, our church, or our own lives, we will lose them. If we lose our lives for Christ's sake and for the gospel, we will find them. Let's dare to put Christ first in all we do. Amen.